Well, thanks, Karan. Hey, my name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church, And it, it's good to be gathered here tonight. I'm looking forward to ramen later on and uh, the good vibes that'll come from that. As Ryan mentioned, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Timothy, and we saw there in the reading that it's a letter from Paul, the apostle, to his protege, Timothy, who is in Ephesus and pastoring there. And the whole context of the letter is to show Timothy and the local church there what it looks like to live as God's people, to live as the church, and to be people that hold out the truth and love together. And so I'm going to pray that we would be able to do that together tonight. So won't you join me? Let's pray. Father God, so thankful to come and hear from your word. We pray tonight as we hear from your word that you might help us to respond rightly to you. You give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, and that as we now come and hear from you in your word, and as we just heard it read out, that we would see who you clearly are, who we clearly are, and how good the news of who you are really is. Amen. Well, this week on campus, as Ryan said, we've been asking lots of uni students the question, how do you respond to failure? We've called it fail forwards, and it's, you might be here tonight because someone's asked you that question, you came along. Uh, how, how would you respond? It's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting question. How do you respond to failures? Uh, we actually interviewed over 700 students, and if you look up on the screen, we'll show you the results. So you can see there, how do you respond to failure? There's a few different answers there that people gave. Uh, yellow, it doesn't define you. Black, you can replay it in your head. That's a favorite way of my responding to failure, just to go over it at like 2 a.m. in the morning, and oh, uh, I don't know if that's you as well. Um, red, move on from it, just move on. Uh, and blue, try and make up for it. Try and you know, do, do better with whoever you failed towards. But overwhelmingly, do you notice that green, which is about 40%, is how do you respond to failure? Find opportunities to grow. Uh, find opportunities to grow. Uh, you only have to go on Instagram for three minutes and you'll find an influencer helping you um, establish a growth mindset in your life. Uh, it's everywhere at the moment, this idea of failing forwards or having a growth mindset as you approach the problems and failures in your life. It's an interesting question, though, how do you respond to failure? Because it's actually asking a deeper question. Who, do you, who are you? Are you the kind of person that is defined by your failures? Or are you someone who can grow and change and move on and develop um, when you do fail? Uh, this is what we mean by the term fail forward. It's a kind of an idea in uh, I don't know, popular psychology that basically when you do fail, you want to seek to learn and grow from your mistakes and use your failures as a stepping stone towards success. It's a growth mindset. Here's how Michael Jordan puts it, one of the greatest basketballers of all time. <laughs> he says this, he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the, winning, the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Do you see, there's the growth mindset. He's using his failures as a stepping stone to success, and he was one of the most successful basketball players of all time. I think this approach, this wanting to have a growth mindset in general, is really good. It's a really positive thing. How can I learn and grow from my mistakes? What do I need to do differently next time? I think in my own life, lots of the big periods of change and growth for me have come from 
uh, reflecting on my failures and going, what do I need to learn here? What would I do differently next time so that this doesn't happen again? I don't know if that's the case for you, but we do grow and learn as humans. But the question is, does living this way actually work? Is it, is it truly livable to just live with a kind of a hustling growth mindset in every area of your life? See, what about repeated failures? The times where try as you might, you, you still keep failing and you just can't seem to make progress. Or what about the big kind of failures where you just think, how can I ever recover from this? When you've hurt someone so badly that you care about that you just think, what do I do here? How, how do I, how, what, what could come next after this? It might be failure at work. It might be failure in a uni course. And you think, how can I tell people at, at uni in my course that I'm going to fail this course and they're just going to wonder where I am next semester? Sometimes just having the right mindset or knowing the right information isn't enough. Yeah, do you guys, do you guys have experienced that? Sometimes it's a habit that you've formed or a negative way of viewing the world that you have, which just means that it's really hard to grow and change. You want to change, but you just can't seem to bring about that kind of growth that's required. See, ultimately, this idea of failing forward, it actually leads us to ask the bigger question, what do you think of humanity? Who are you? Who are you? See, I think... There's two kind of ideas here that seem to be uh, pretty popular. And the one that is the most popular in our culture today in Auckland is the, is the thinking that humans are basically good. We are basically good people and we're capable of doing better all the time. And, and you know, we might do evil sometimes, but humanity is basically good. And if we just had the right attitude and the right knowledge, the right education, if we just teach the kids in school, things will go well for us because humans are basically good. But there's another way of thinking, which is to kind of, are things worse than we think? Is it all just doomed and hopeless and the kind of nihilistic view of the world, which just thinks it's all just going to rubbish? And some people think that way. And is the world worse than we think? That's the question for us tonight. What, what, who are we as humans? And so this is the, and a, a question that 1 Timothy addresses for us, and we're going to kind of work through it a bit together. But first point in your outlines there, what are you really like? It's an important question, isn't it? Because the answer to that question will shape how you relate to others and to your world. And, and I think our culture, most people, when it comes to the are you basically good or are you basically bad, I reckon most people in Auckland would say you're basically good. Uh, not perfect, maybe, you know, seven out of ten, maybe six on a bad day, eight or nine on a really good day. Uh, but, you know, not perfect. We all fail at times, but who is perfect? I'm trying my best, and I try to be kind to people. I try to love others. I try to get by without hurting anyone. We're mostly good. I, I think lots of us think that in Auckland today. And, and then from there, we would generalize out and say, well, if I'm mostly good, I think most people are mostly good. There might be some bad people in the world, but for most of humanity, you know, we've got our problems, but we're working on them and we're mostly good. It's interesting, though. I asked people what evidence they would point to to confirm this hunch that we all, we just seem to have a generic kind of, I think 
Most of us think that. We're mostly good. What, what would you point to? And, and the thing that comes back time and time again when, when I ask this question, people say, well, I just think about my own personal relationships and how I try to treat others. And people tend to treat me pretty well, the people that I know and I care about. And because we're thinking just about our friends and our family and those who kind of know us, and in general, they do treat us pretty good. But the question is, if people are mostly good, why do we struggle so much? Why does humanity seem so broken? Why is there so much brokenness in our world and in our city and in our societies if we're all just mostly good? Have you ever wondered that this morning? Why haven't we been able to get it right to just treat each other well? Well, come with me to the Bible. We're going to have a look and see what God says about humanity. And I want to just preface what I'm about to say by saying that the news that the Bible gives us will sound to you at first hearing it like bad news. It's bad news, and I want to convince you by the end of tonight that it is really good news. And, and the news that our culture tells us, that our city is saying that people are mostly good, it sounds like good news, but I want to convince you by the end of tonight that it's actually bad news, because it misses who we are as humans. So that's where we're going to go. Uh, open up your Bibles if you've got one there with me. We're going to start in verse 15. Here's the central thesis of Paul's kind of argument in this passage. Here's what he says, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. So did you see there why Paul says Jesus came into the world? To save sinners, to save you and I, to save humanity. He talks earlier in verse 13 about his unbelief. And, and, and you might say to yourself, well, sure, Paul was a bad guy. It sounds like he didn't do some good stuff, but is this just his experience? But down in the next verse, verse 16, Paul talks about God saving him as an example for all of us who will believe in God for eternal life. Do you notice that verse 13, uh, it's unbelief. Verse 16, it's belief. There's this, there's this uh, greater problem with humanity, which is all to do with belief in God. See, at the core, what is sin? What does it mean to be a sinner? I wonder if you've ever wondered that question. I think for lots of people, we think it's just doing the wrong thing. But the message of the Bible is that sin is actually first and foremost about your relationship with God. And, and what, it, what sin actually is, is someone who has decided they don't want to listen to God and put themselves as the one who they will call the shots in their own life. It's actually to be in rebellion. That's the idea of sin. It's to, it's to fall short of God's way of living and live for ourselves, which, which doesn't seem like such a bad thing, except for when we realize who God is. He's God. He made us, and he loves us. And so our sin, what it does is it cuts us off from God. We're all like a flower, right? We might look really beautiful, but if we're cut off from the source and in a vase, we're all slowly dying. We're all slowly uh, dealing with the repercussions of the way that we have rebelled against God. See, humanity's biggest problem isn't just that we do evil things towards each other. It's that we've rebelled against the God who made us. Paul puts it like this in another letter he wrote to the Romans in Romans 3.23. He says, We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, what's Paul saying here? He says he's the worst sinner, but that all of us have fallen short of putting God and giving him the position that he deserves in our lives. Number one, the one we want to listen to, the one we trust um, to base our lives around. We've all done that in our lives. At the core, 
What the Bible says about you and I is that we are in need of rescue. That the reality of the rebellion that we have with God means that uh, we aren't going to be able to spend life with God forever, but actually it's the idea of hell, of uh, uh, eternal death, of being in judgment from God. And the message of the Bible is that we all are heading that way unless we need, uh, unless we get rescued. Uh, we need a rescue. We need someone to save us. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't say, oh, you're mostly good and you just need to work on a few little things and, and, and come to God and help you with those extra bits. It says that you are someone who is in need of rescue. You can't get yourself out of the problem that you're in, the problem that is caused by the way that you've treated God. And it's not a problem that is just a problem for some of us. I've got three little kids, and let me tell you, I didn't have to teach them to be selfish. They just learned it all on their own. They, they, just, they, they, they are that way. My, my son, he's five. We were having lunch yesterday, and, and he like, picked up a chicken leg and started gnawing on it. And we're all just like, we're just sharing a, a roast chicken for lunch. And then he goes to grab the other chicken leg. And I was like, hey, mate, how many people are at the table? There's you know, six of us. And I was like, do you think it's your fair share to take both the chicken drums, like legs? And he was like, he thought about it, and he was like, Oh, no, but I want it anyway. <laughs> and then he went back for the wings as well. And I was like, come on, mate. Like, but I didn't, have to, I didn't teach him that. And it's not just little kids. I think um, lots of us are socially conditioned to not be selfish because other people will shame us or look down on us or make us feel guilty. But if it was up to us, we probably would take both chicken legs and both wings, right? Like, I think there's a bit of that in all of us. Now, is this bad news? Is it bad news to what the Bible says about who we are as humans. I think it sounds like bad news. We're all sinners deserving of judgment, going to spend eternity without God in hell forever. Now, on the surface, that's pretty bad news, isn't it? Except for who God is. I'm going to come to that a bit more in a second, but look at how Paul describes the way that God has treated him. Look in verse 13. He says, I received mercy... Because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, what, what did Paul deserve? Judgment from God. But what did Paul get given from God? Mercy. Mercy and grace. Isn't that amazing? It seems like really bad news to get, be put face to face with the reality that we are broken but how does God treat Paul with mercy and grace? See, mercy, the idea of mercy is not getting what you deserve. That what Paul deserved for the way that he treated God, the worst of sinners, was judgment, was God to um, punish him for the way that he'd acted. But what does he get instead? He gets grace. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. He gets forgiveness from God. He gets love and, and saving. He's rescued. Isn't that amazing? See, we've done the spiritual equivalent to leaving God on red. We've ghosted him. We've rejected him. We don't want to listen to him. We've gone our own way. But for each of us, if we come to find out that we are really someone who is broken and come to Jesus, what do we get? Mercy and grace. It's truly amazing the way that God treats us in light of the fact of who we are. If we see ourselves clearly, wow, isn't that amazing? See, Thursday morning, I was driving to see a friend and get a coffee, and, and I was going down Dominion Road, and, and I was in one of those 
Do you, does this happen to anyone else where you're in a, in a lane and then suddenly the lane just ends and it goes into one lane and you just get caught out and you're like, where's my lane gone? I, is that just me? I might be a bad driver. <laughs> but anyway, I, I did that and the guy behind me, he noticed that my lane had ended and slowed down, gave me a little wave and I saw in my rearview mirror and just let me in. And it just made my day. I, I felt really chuffed. You know that? You know that? I just, it just, I loved it. And I was like, what a good guy. Uh, it was so good. But then I got to uh, the place where I was seeing a friend, and I opened my news source, Instagram, and, and uh, the first couple of things that were on the feed was the shooting in the CBD. Absolute tragedy. A couple of people dead, I think three dead, seven in hospital, families who've lost loved ones for... It just, it's just tragic. Just... How, how, how did this happen? What, what, was, what was going on for that guy? And What do you do in a circumstance like that? It was just tragic and heartbreaking. We're not mostly good. The reality of humanity is that we are broken. We have rejected God and we're, and we're sinners. That's what the Bible says. And it doesn't just show itself in big, broken ways like that shooting. All of us carry it around, don't we? Regret about the way that we've treated others. Guilt over something that we ought to have done or ought not to have done, and, and, and we did it. Brokenness. We, we feel it from others in the way that they've hurt us, and we know that we've hurt others, and we're all like that. There's not a person in this room who, when I say, what do you regret, has no regrets. That's all of us. See, even that guy who let me merge in the lane, what a good guy. If I went home and was just a fly on the wall in his life for a week, it would be a life that had brokenness in it, in the way that he thought, in the way that he acted, in the way that he treated others, in the way that he related in his, his relationships and in his work and whatever else he's doing. There would be brokenness there, I guarantee it, because that's all of us. <clears throat> One of the saddest realities in our world is that it is the people that we are closest to and who care about the most that hurt us the most. All of the stats for any of those kind of domestic abuse or violence, or it's always someone that you know that is most likely to be the perpetrator. Isn't that absolutely tragic? The people that we're supposed to care about are the ones we end up hurting. What do we do there? The message of the Bible, which I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we know to be true in some sense in the world and, and fear it might be true of us, is that we're broken, that we need rescue. Good news or bad news? It's bad news unless it's true. Unless it's true. See, we need to have a realistic view of ourselves. I remember one time I was off-roading with some friends and there was no internet and so we had a paper map and who knows how to read a paper map? I, I do not. Um, <laughs> and, and we'd gone down a few different turns and, and gone the wrong way and uh, we were totally lost. But the guy driving was like, no, no, I reckon we just keep going this way and we'll get there. Just hopelessly optimistic and was like, come on, let's just stick on this path. And we were like, no, no, we've got to pull over. We're going to pull over and check the map. And we, and we, and we pulled it up and we, and we traced that and we worked out we're going the, uh, a, a, down a road that was the exact wrong direction and it's a one-way road and it wouldn't have come around. See, what did we need in that moment? We didn't need hopeless optimism and, and positivity. We needed a reality check. 
we needed to know that we were lost. Have you understood the reality of your brokenness? You might be here tonight for the first time hearing things like that, and it seems like a bit of a downer. But actually, if we're going to face our brokenness head on, we need to understand it. We need to know that we are broken. We are in need of rescue. It's not just brokenness out there in the world. It's not just brokenness in the most evil people and criminals. And It's in each of our hearts. If you could see my heart this week, if you could see some of the thoughts that I've had, if you could see some of the ways that I've treated people I care about, it's in me. I'm broken. You're broken. It's in each of us. Have you faced that reality head on? Do you know that to be true? In fact, part of the brokenness we carry is because we're all broken people, we don't even realize that we are broken. We don't realize how in need of rescue we are because we, don't, we look at others who are sinners who are broken, who have rejected God, and we say, I'm, I'm just about on par with them. Can I, am I actually that broken? I'm just kind of like everyone else. And we don't see it because we're all just the same. See, as a society, we base what's right and wrong on majority consensus. It's kind of the way it works, right? Like enough, if enough people say something's right, well, we just kind of end up deciding it. And over the last 10 years, even, you can think back and think about all of the things that we now say are right that we didn't 10 years ago. There's been so much change and shifting in our society. Who knows where we'll be in another 20 years? We're all just kind of following each other. I don't know if you've heard this story about the factory timekeeper. There was a man whose role it was was to ring the bell at the end of the shift. 5 p.m., got to ring the bell. And so every day he would uh, ring the bell, 5 p.m., on the dot. He had his watch, checking it, and, and let the factory workers out on time. And he took his job really seriously. This is important. He doesn't want to let people out late. And so once a week, he, as he was walking home, he went past the clockmaker's house, or the clockmaker's shop, I should say. And, and there was a big grandfather clock in the window, and every Friday afternoon, he'd go after work, and he'd look at the time on the clock in the window, and he'd set his watch, because he really wanted to make sure he was selling the right time and letting everyone out at the right space. Uh, and, and he'd been doing this for years, and after doing it for a few years, one day the clockmaker came out. And he said to him, hey, aren't you the guy that you know, works at the factory? And he goes, yeah, yeah, my job is to let people out at the right time, 5 p.m. And he goes, what are you doing? I see you here you know, once a week coming along, uh, letting, letting, you know, stopping for a few minutes and then continuing on. What are you doing? And he goes, well, I, I just take my job really seriously, and so I'm just checking the time to make sure I've got the right time because I want to do the right thing by the employees. I'm calibrating my watch. And the clockmaker looks at him and he says, we've got a really big problem. Because every, uh, every week, at, you know, once a week at 5 p.m. on a Friday, I hear your bell go, and I set my clock according to the bell. Do you see? They're, they're calibrating off each other. And, and, and who knows what the real time is? Because they, you know, they're both just following each other in the dark. See, we need something more, something stable and secure to build our lives around. That's what we have here in the Bible. That's what we have in the message of the gospel. It's God, the one who made us, who stepped into the world and who speaks to us, who we can know because of Jesus. It's his standard which we measure ourselves against. See, it seems like bad news to hear we're not really that good. We're actually bad. We're broken. We're sinners. But it's good news when we know God. So that second point in your outlines, what's God really like? See, the Bible gives us the amazing news that while we are broken sinners in need of rescue, 
that God is just what we need in the midst of our sin. Look at verse 15 again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. See, what's your view of God? You might be here and you're not sure if God exists and you're like, oh, I just came along for the ramen or I came along for the the good vibes in the chats or, I don't know, someone asked me at at uni and I just kind of thought I'd come along. Uh, If that's you, come along to our Explaining Christianity course where we'll talk you through why we think the Bible is reasonable and why we think God is real. But for lots of us who do believe in God, we kind of tend to have kind of two, two ideas. Either God is the kind of guy up in the sky who's angry and judgmental and frowning on me and looking to uh, uh, punish me for the wrong that I do. And, and, and this kind of a God, he's just the judge who just uh, is the angry kind of God in the sky. And that's people's view of God, and, and they only think about the way that he's going to punish. Or on the other hand, you have a God who is only loving. Who's, who, Of course he loves. God, who, what is God? God is love. And so God accepts me, and he forgives me no matter what, and it doesn't matter, I don't, it doesn't matter who I am, and, and God's just love. And, and, and this idea of God that some people have, if, if I think God's just loving, I can't, he can't punish people. He's not going to judge anyone because he's love. How could he do that? And we have this two views of God where he's either uh, angry and, and punishing or, or loving and just will accept anyone. And, and, and what we see is that God isn't just the judge who's angry. And he's not, he's not just a God who's loving and will accept anyone. He's actually fully just and fully loving. See, see, who is God? You want to know who God is? You've got to know Jesus. You've got to see who Jesus is because Jesus reveals God to us. What we see in the person of Jesus is that, you know, Jesus came down to earth to show us the reality of our sin, that we are sinners, that we have rejected God, that God takes our sin seriously, that without Jesus' rescue, all of us are going to face the consequences of God's judgment. Eternity without him. God will hold people for, accountable for their sin. He won't sweep it under the rug. See, Jesus shows us that God takes our sin seriously. But Jesus also shows us the love of God. See, what did he do? He came to rescue us. How did he do that? By giving up his life in our place. At the greatest cost, his own sacrifice of his life, he died for you and I. See, Jesus shows us the love of God in a way that doesn't just sweep sin under the carpet, but deals with it. He took our sin on himself and died for us so that we might know God's love. That's who God is, fully just and fully loving. He gives up his life for our rescue. And he's not just just and loving, he's patient. He's so patient with us. Did you see verse 16? I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. See, why did God save Paul? Why did God save Paul? He saved him in part because he's patient. He was patient with this guy who was running the complete opposite direction and doing whatever he could to hurt the cause of Christ, to hurt Christians. And, and, and we read it today and we hear Paul's experience of how God worked in his life. Why? Partly so that you and I, when we read about this, what we just read tonight, might know that God is patient. Might know that God's not too far off from each one of us. See, Paul says that he is the worst of sinners. And so you and I, we're not further off than God 
from God than Paul was. We're not further away than, we haven't pushed God's patience more than Paul did. That's what Paul's saying. He's telling his story here so that we might know God's patience and love. Isn't it amazing? See, sometimes we tend to think of God like a human. That he's got limits and he might run out of patience or get tired of forgiving or we can push him too far and he might give up on us. But God's not like us. We would do that because we're human. God, Jesus has, what does it say? Extraordinary patience. It's actually the word for perfect, perfect patience. You can't run too far from him that he won't have you back. You can't push him too far that he'll say, that's it, that's enough, you're done. Don't come back to me. If you come to Jesus for rescue, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he will have you. His patience is extraordinary and perfect. See, there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And, and for all of us, uh, how we respond to God uh, will, will come out. You see it, a bit of it there in verse 17. God is the eternal, immortal, invisible king. He deserves all the glory and all the honor forever and ever. Whether we've given God, the creator who made us, the glory and honor he deserves, will come out. But on that day, it's not how you've lived that will be whether you're right with God or not, whether you're saved or not. It'll be, have you responded to Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Have you thrown yourself on his mercy and grace? Have you seen the reality of who you are and the offer that Jesus brings? See, this is the key to life. The key to your life is knowing yourself correctly and knowing God. If you get those two things right, no matter what else happens in your life, those are the two key things you need to know. If you didn't have such a knowledge of God and you only had a view of understanding yourself and your brokenness rightly, that would crush you. For so many of us in our world that don't know God, this might be you here this morning, we just put to the side the reality of our brokenness. We don't want to think about it. Because to face it head on without a God who will rescue us, that would crush you. That would crush me. But with Jesus, knowing him, we truly can fail forwards. This is the third point. What does it mean to truly fail forwards? See, what does our world say? What sits behind the growth mindset culture that we started the sermon with? <clears throat> it's the idea that you need to do better. This is the first thing. There's three things it looks like to fail forwards. The first one is our world says just do better. Jesus says come to me. See, what does our world say? Your failures are your responsibility. You need to face them head on and grow. You need to deal with them. It's up to you. No one's going to save you. No one's going to rescue you. You need to sort your life out. It seems really positive on the surface. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your failures. And it is. But underneath it, it's insidious. It insists that you do better and better and better and doesn't give you any help or support. And it's just all up to you. What does Jesus say? Come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, what does Jesus offer? What's the qualification that you need to come to Jesus? It's being burdened. It's being weary. It's being at the end of your tether. It's recognizing your failures and brokenness and bringing them to Jesus. He says, come to me. I won't turn you away. I'll show you mercy and grace. See, when Paul met Jesus, he could be honest with himself. He discovered that God isn't just this angry person up in the sky, but he's the God who's patient, who's kind, who shows mercy and grace, who is just, but who is also loving and perfect in all of that. 
See, did you notice as we were going through, Paul, the tone of this passage? I'm going to read the first couple of verses, 12 to 14. Pick up what's the tone that Paul has as he reflects on his own deep brokenness. Verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, how would you expect someone who comes face to face with their brokenness to respond? It'd be devastating. But what's, what's the tone of this passage? It's, he's happy. Paul's joyful. He's, he celebrates. Yeah, he's, he's really humble because he acknowledges who he is. But it's, it's joyful and celebrating. See, seeing the reality of who he is and who God is causes Paul to face life head on, but respond with celebration and joy because of who Jesus is, to thank him. And that's your story too. If you're a Christian here tonight, you can respond to your failures with celebration. Not because you're celebrating the failure, but because you, in God you are safe and secure. You don't have to perform. You don't have to hustle and do better and grind just on your own, just you, you and your failures. No, you've got God. You're a child of God, safe and loved and secure. Now there's a place from which you can truly grow and change. There's a place where you can, God doesn't leave you in your failures. He wants to show you that you can grow and change and it's possible. But you don't depend on that to come to God. No, no, he comes to you in the midst of your failures. The Christian life, if we understand truly our brokenness and God's goodness, is a joyful life. It's a thankful life. Is that your life? Do you celebrate Jesus' mercy and grace even in the midst of failure? See, secondly, what does it mean to fail forwards? The gospel actually fuels us to serve Jesus even though we are failures. Even though we are. Look again at verse 12. Paul gives thanks to Christ Jesus who strengthened him because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. See, Paul, in Paul's mind, he probably thought the very best that God could do would be to save him. But that even in saving him, he was still broken and a failure and would just be on the bench. But what do we see? No, no, Paul's in the game. God's using him to bring others to know about Jesus and his love and grace and mercy. That's your and my story if you're a Christian. That's your privilege too. How do you approach service? How do you approach serving others, loving others, loving God? If we've understood rightly who we are in our brokenness and who God is in his love, We'll approach that with thankfulness. Thank you so much, God, that I'm off the bench and in the game. I get to love you and serve you. What a joy. What a privilege. Is that your experience of service? If you're a Christian, do you serve joyfully and thankfully? You're looking for opportunities to serve because you recognize that it's amazing that God would use a sinner like you, like me. Wow, that's amazing. And thirdly, what does it mean to fail forwards? The gospel actually helps us to respond to others' failures. So you might be here tonight looking for a church. You might be thinking, I've got, I got a list of six things that I want my church that I'm going to join to be like. It's got to have you know, heaps of fun, good vibes, uh, cheap food, you know, teaching on, maybe it's got to be okay. And you've got this list of things that you want church to be. But if we've understood this passage rightly, 
we understand that this is a place full of saved sinners. See, what do you need to be a member of this church? What do you need to belong here? You need to understand that you're a sinner. You need to understand it. And, and, and actually understanding that and understanding that God saved us and he's changing us. But yeah, we are still broken at times. It means you won't be caught off guard by others' failures. You won't expect perfection from others. Sometimes we can project that onto others. Oh, they've, they mistreated me. They said the wrong thing. They were awkward. I'm not going to come back. No, no. If you've understood this rightly, you'll be able to commit to a community of people who are saved sinners, just like you. We'll be able to forgive even when we've been hurt by others because God has forgiven us so greatly. See, God takes sinners like us, failures like us, and he says, I'll use you for my glory. He takes sinners and failures like us and says, come and join my family and experience life with me forever. Bring your life with all your weaknesses and flaws and, and I'll use it for, for love and service of others with the rest of your life. It's what you were made for. Wow. Thankfulness to serve. See, tonight we've been faced with two sets of news. One is the news that you're not that bad. And it sounds good, but when you dig into it, actually it's false news. It's fake news. The reality of the Bible is that we are all broken sinners who come to God to receive rescue and mercy and grace. You can face your failures head on because of Jesus. And God is so abundant, isn't he, in pouring out his grace to each of us. That what actually seemed like bad news at the start, I'm a sinner, is actually the most wonderful news because of my great Savior. Yeah? Why don't we pray and thank God for that? Father God, we are so thankful for the good news that even in the midst of our brokenness, our rebellion, our sin, and our failures that we haven't scared you off, that we haven't pushed you too far. We are so thankful that tonight there is the opportunity once again to come and repent, to come and say sorry to you, to say sorry for the way that we've rejected you, and to put our trust in King Jesus. We're so thankful that his death in our place means we get mercy and grace. You are so patient, God. Thank you for your patience with us. Would you help us to fail forwards, to face our failures head on, but face them knowing that we are safe and secure in your love. Thanks for that, God. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.